Jacob, I have a question for you. We finished, uh, we're almost finished with the year, and I just, you just still seem like you have all this confidence. So my question is, how do you keep up your confidence? What do you do that makes you seem confident? You know, there are so many things about my personality that are turnoffs for human beings that I come into contact with. Perhaps the fact that I just called them human beings rather than people, right? Uh, my, I, I don't think it's, I think what you see is confidence. What I feel is passion and an excitement for creativity and to make progress. Like I am generally, I think the, the, the energy you feel is in what like even like my students feed off of because they're always like Chastain, you're always in a good mood. You never have a bad day. That's 100% not true. I had bad days this week, right? Um, my I think it's it's the my desire and my excitement just to do interesting things that teaching just it feeds it constantly to where I'm excited that like, you know, we're even though we're in star prep right now. I'm excited for going to school this week and we're reviewing, but we're, we're diving into interesting texts. They're writing interesting pieces. I told them, uh, I was like, this is your last six weeks with me. And they've been with me for two years. So like, no chest ain't come with us. Eighth. I'm like, I'm not coming with you to eighth. So this is your last chance. I was like, let's push, let's do some amazing stuff. So I, you know, that, that positivity, I think it's really my, my hyper focus on doing cool stuff. Like today, this is my third podcast for today. I'm excited that we did that. Now I was tired. You know what I mean? And it's the end of the day. We record at night for craft and draft. Um, but yeah, I really do think it just comes down to loving the process, loving creating and, and trusting the pro like trusting this, that it makes me feel better. Cause even though like, you know, writing books and, uh, creating lesson plans and being a teacher and doing podcasts, all of that stuff. Like, it's like, where do you find the time? It's, I feel better when I find the time. Does that make sense? Like I, I do not do well with downtime, but my brain thinks I should, right? I hear everyone. They're like, Chesting, take a break. And I tell myself, Oh, you just need to take a break. Chesting, just play another hour of video games, you know, just, you know, take a break, relax, watch some YouTube, watch a movie. And sometimes that does make me feel better, but nine times out of 10, even if I don't want to sitting down to do something productive, creative, creating content for educators or creating lesson plans for my students, it always makes me feel better. And then that comes out, even if I'm not particularly positive, that comes out in energy because I just, I don't know. I think, I don't know if we want to do a psychoanalytics about myself. I was a performer <laughs> as a, I was a performer as a child. Like seriously, like we would have, we had this drum set set up in my garage and my dad was a performer and that's what I grew up doing is people would come over, they would throw these parties and he would drum and he would play with his guitarist. And, uh, when, when that eventually faded out, he would just turn on music and, you know, they set up like microphones for all of these people who may or may not have been inebriated, you know, like all these adults <laughs> and, you know, they're partying and they're just singing, you know, Shania Twain and Melissa Etheridge and, you know, all of these bands, ACDC, Guns N' Roses. And my dad's just playing drums and eventually it became me on the drums performing. And I think that that's just ingrained into my, how I view the world is I'm an entertainer. Like I, <laughs> I, I, for better or for worse, I feel like I have to turn it on sometimes, uh, even when I probably don't have to, but it's led to so many good things that I, I think at this point in my life, there's no, I can't change it. So, right. um, it, it might be positivity. It might be energy, but what, what, regardless, I've seen good results with it, um, and it keeps me excited. So I have no idea if that answered your question, but that, that's how I processed that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is at the end of the year. It's kind of changes are happening and stuff like that. And so sometimes it's kind of difficult, I think, to keep going here at the end. So I just kind of, you just seem like you're just still going, like it's the first of the year. So that's why I thought I'd yeah. ask that question. I mean, there's anyway. definitely... There's a part of that, right? Like I, 
I really am excited. Like, I love my classroom and I love my campus and everything like that. And we're probably, speaking of changes, we're probably going to have a change to talk about soon. We we teased that last week on the podcast. Right. Not quite there. We're just, we're right there. It's it, We're just right there. But not yet. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Craft and Draft podcast. That is Pam Ochoa. I am Jacob Chastain. We talk about reading, writing, workshop. We are both seventh grade English teachers in the DFW area of Texas. We follow all the same problems that you guys have. We have all the same restrictions, and yet we find ways to make reading, writing, workshop work in our classrooms. And that's what we talk about on this podcast and all kinds of whatever else pops up in our heads as we go. Sometimes we respond to questions. Sometimes we respond to random tweets on the internet. Does not matter. This ep- this podcast is dedicated just to having great conversations centered around reading writing workshop today we're talking uh i have a feeling we're gonna go all over the place on this episode but the main goal of this is to talk about bridging reading and writing together keeping them married what does that look like how do we do it in our process and so much more Alrighty, pam how, how are you doing today i know i had the question but my question to you is how are you feeling right now on a, on a saturday night well, I, you know, you were talking about you had three podcasts. I don't know. I mean, I, I was kind of proud of myself because uh, I've gotten my, I've, I have an, a car and I've changed the battery. We've changed the, my, my niece and I, we changed the brakes, uh, put, put a light together. So I'm, I mean, I am turning into a handy man, if that's okay. <laughs> But my dad helped me today. He came over because mother goes, your dad's not doing anything. So, you know, I'm sure he'll help you. So my dad comes over. And so I didn't really, I was going to put my own lights up today, but I actually changed out light, um, you know, the tops of the lights and all that stuff. I mean, I actually changed out a whole entire uh, unit. We changed out two of them in the hallway. So anyway, I've just been putting up curtains. I've learned how to drill. I've I'm just really becoming a handy person. So that's what I've been doing, but it makes me feel productive. That's so funny. You know, I, you, you always do, you always have like these projects and, you know, for people that have been following the podcast, when we started, that was like right when your house like flooded, right? And yes. you, you had to move back into your parents' house for a bit. And then it took like literally the year Um, for you to go back and then COVID like took over your family and it was just like, yeah, I had to take care of my parents, but they're okay. Like today, my dad had to rest several times, you know, his breath, he he loses his breath, but Hey, he's not on oxygen 24 seven anymore. So that's a good thing. So you had had all this stuff happen and now you're like back at your house. So you're like making curtains, you're, you're, you're living this like house life. And I just, I, you know, as as hard as I try, I'm just genuinely not a handy person. I'm really not. Like I like you talk about like I do all of this other stuff. Imagine all the things I'm not getting done: dishes, laundry. Like there's oh, a I cost. I do get my laundry done. See, there's a cost <laughs> to the productivity. So you have to, you know, it's you have to just weigh the cost benefit of everything. In all honesty, and find out where you're comfortable uh, not being successful. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I I got my lawnmower running, so I, I am. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I might so, just make myself a side business. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you never know. I mean. I'm kidding. Uh, I wanted to say, I didn't tell you this off air, but uh, Adam Yanke, uh, he never told me if that was how you pronounce his name, but I tagged him on Twitter when our podcast yeah. posted on Friday and said, hey, we responded to your tweet with no right. reason. And he was like, oh, I enjoyed it. I appreciate the the nuanced conversation y'all had. So he at least uh, thought we treated his conversation or his tweet fairly, which was nice. Well, um, but I felt good. like I felt like that was the least I could do for the man after we just stole his tweet and then talked about him without him knowing in advance. So, <laughs> hey, it's public, right? Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, when you put it out there, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's on social media. I mean, I can respond to it. Right. But no, he was he was fun, and uh, we tagged him in there. But one thing I wanted to talk about. And I think this a nice segue into what we want to hit on is 
this constant the the separation of reading and writing right this is i think it's like the bane of our existence and one thing that i kind of came to realize as i was writing my second book rightfully empowered hopefully due out fall 2021 is i feel like most english teachers have subscribed to the idea that kids should have independent reading time and they should be able to choose their own books. Now, some teachers lean more heavily on book studies. Some teachers lean towards the canon. But I think overall, that independent reading time is being embraced more than it ever has. I think that's it's it's common enough that we could assume that. There's probably corners where it hasn't. Um, probably the older you get, it probably wanes more, I would be willing to assume. But that that process has gone through it but i'm curious as to i i feel like writing has not had that renaissance we are not letting kids write foremost we're we're treating writing as if it's it's rules first rather than desire and purpose first and i was curious if you think that that is is that uh do you see the same things i do that that there's more resistant on the writing side and if so why? Like, why Why is writing kind of lagging behind this reading renaissance that's happened in the last, you know, 10, 15 years? Well, I think, um, I don't know for sure if it's a rules thing, because I think we've actually moved away from the rules thing. I, I'm not seeing the grammar taught the way I first started teaching it um, oh, okay. in isolation. I, I, I do think, I think it's just not being taught. I mean... We at least in the in the past it was being taught in isolation. You know what I mean? And they were parsing sentences and we were diagramming and we were doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I don't hear anyone talking diagramming anymore. No, nah, you know, we're not doing any of that. So uh whether we're doing it or not, I, I don't know. I, I I guess what I'm saying is I, I think it's like probably over the top for me to say it's not being taught, but it's just not the way it used to be. Why don't I just go there? to be on the safe side. But I do think that you're right in the sense that it, the writing has not moved in that direction as reading has, but I think it's more of a prompted writing. I think we make, um, I, I think we do the quick writes, you know, Linda Reef does quick writes and I'm okay with the quick writes, but if that's where we stop, then we're not moving the kids forward. If we are only doing test prompt writing and we're assigning writing assignments, then we're really not helping the students. We're helping them in the short run. And and I and I do think that when you teach the test, you're probably going to get higher scores, you know, if that's really all you do. But are you helping the students further along in their life? I mean, are you helping them further down the road when for that job they have to they have to explain themselves for that, you know, they have to explain their philosophy or they have to solve a problem and they have to write it out. I mean, are you really helping them? And so only the only way to do that is for them to have a lot of volume and a lot of writing on things that they're interested in. Uh, it's okay if you like give them problems, you know, like have them list problems. But if, even if you, you know, to solve or something like that, if you want to do problem solution. But um, the, the idea to me is I don't think we embrace that f- true free writing. I think we're afraid to let go. Because in, in a book, you know, the book is there and we like we, we give them free choice. Right. Their SSR should be a book of their choice. Right. And we're not giving them a list. Oh, well, maybe some people are. But for the most part, the embracement that you're talking about is where you literally let them go to the library, go to your library in your classroom and they choose whatever book they want. You know, you don't put up a list and say within this list, you can only choose these. But when it comes to writing, we say, this is the prompt. You can only write about this, but true free writing, which I think is what you do in your classroom. And that is when the students have an inkling in their heart that they want this idea and they really want to get it out there. You let them do it. I don't well, know if I think it's hard to let go. There, I mean, there's a lot there, right? And this is why I said this conversation is probably going to meander a little bit because right. there's it's it, it, there's so many layers to this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, in terms of my class, I, you're right. They do do that. And th- this was something I had to reconcile in, uh, rightfully empowered was, and this was one of the last edits I did before I sent it to the publisher is I was genuinely worried about how much poetry I featured from my students because a lot of them write poetry. A lot of them, Mm -hmm. that's like their primary mode. And the reason is, is because we... We read it, a lot of it because you can do so much with poetry. I, I believe Nancy Atwell's assertion that you can teach everything in writing through poetry. Yeah. Um, you can teach rules. You can teach syntax. You can teach uh, uh, word choice. You can teach mood, tone, theme, plot, all of that. Um, and what my what it freed my students to do is for kids who are – uh, resistant to writing, poetry can be a really great way of freeing them from the rules because poetry can kind of bend the rules, right? So we mm-hmm. can start just breaking up stuff. And this is really great for my English uh, learners, by the way, because what happened was is they were trying to write these, you know, these stories or narratives or memoirs or whatever, and they would write these paragraphs that are just filled with errors. And what I did was is I would empower them to do line breaks and kind of create poetry out of it. And once they did that, they started getting so comfortable that they wrote so much that now we're turning their poems back into paragraphs and they have a a better grasp of sentence creation. So it's almost like I'm almost like in my own way doing sentence combining and breaking uh, just through creating poetry and then putting it back into paragraphs like over time. And that wasn't really ever planned. That was something I stumbled upon just within my own pedagogy. But a lot of my kids write tons of poetry. Um, they write other things, but poetry is definitely the main thing. And there's a lot of poems featured in this book. And I was like, you know, the one thing I don't, I was worried because I was like, I want to share this writing because it's clear because I show the growth over several students of how they started in sixth grade and where they're at now, kind of at the end of seventh grade. And you can, I think if you read the pieces, you can clearly tell that they've had so much practice and they're, they have developed so much, but I didn't want teachers reading this book and then going, Oh, well, you know, it's poetry, but we have to write expository. We have to write informational. And I was racking my brain about how to reconcile this because I, I could show some of their, uh, their informational pieces and stuff like that. And there are some in there, but I, I didn't want to pull some because the writing I wanted to show was the writing that they chose. So what I did is at the beginning of the book, the way I reconciled it with, I said, you're not going to find essays, um, expository pieces in here because essays are almost always assigned. Who writes an essay for fun, right? Unless you're a, a, an academic, uh, no one sits down to write an essay, right? And I was like, "That's th- the book is not about how to assign better. It's about how to empower students with what they want to say and give them the tools to say it. Because it transfers into when you do assign an essay, when you do assign something specific, because you want to either because of curriculum or push their thinking a little bit, uh, it, they now have the tools because they've practiced so much. My The essay, so we just did... Uh, critiques in my class, for instance, and a lot of my students, basically I, I put a parameter. I said they had to publish two pieces for the six weeks, one critique, one piece of whatever they chose. And their critiques were so much better because of how much writing they have done throughout the year. And some of them started actually writing their critique in poetry form, and then they put it together in paragraph form, which was hilarious to watch because I was like, that's such a weird way to do it, but it's it worked. And the it the the point i'm trying to make is giving that that freedom is terrifying because we feel like kids don't have ideas to share um we feel like they they don't have anything to talk about oh they'll just talk about video games and stuff like that and there there that exists but kid like kids are designed to share like we're we're social creatures we are literally wired to talk and to share and to express emotion And what Donald Graves did in his earliest research was point out that kids from a very early age want to write. We've said this on the podcast before, but 
human beings, you know, there's a reason we put our hand on caves and left those before we ever had any concept of written language. We did that because human beings want to leave their mark. They want to tell their stories. They want to do all of these mm-hmm. things. And for some reason, teaching has evolved in a way that ignores human behavior, which is people want to share these things. And we should set up our classrooms to embrace that natural process. And then with the art and knowledge of the teacher, convert that into uh, quality writing that can then benefit them in a variety of forms. But people are terrified of that process because there's so much, there's so much unknown. It's literally walking out into the wilderness and saying, I hope we can find our way. But I, I don't know. I think they rely so much on the teacher being confident just in the writing process, um, mm-hmm. which is rare. It's rare to find adults who are comfortable in the writing process, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. And I think that's it's that idea of being afraid to let go. You know, I mean, you really do have to let go and as a teacher. And I think the prompt is a way for us not to let go. You know, how can we make sure they're going to get exactly what I need them to get? Oh, well, I have to give them a prompt. But no, you have to be able to guide them through their process. It's not necessarily the prompt that makes you a great writing teacher. It's what you do once they start writing is what oh makes you a God. great writing teacher. That's like, the, I, I, I heard it in my head before you said it. I was like, that's such a great quote. It's just, <laughs> it's not the prompt doesn't make good writers. It's what you do while kids are writing that makes great writers. That's, that's amazing. That's right. That's perfect. And, you know, and, and that's just my, been my experience. And I think it translates. I might start out usually in a year, um, you know, because if they test pretty early, if I just got the kids, you know, we're doing data, typically my data is kind of low at the beginning. Typically it moves on most years. It moves uh, up. Uh, And I think it's because of the writing and the reading. And I think it's the choice because if you don't get a student engaged, then you're already dead in the water. And one way to make sure that they're engaged is you give them choice. You let them choose. You give them some power in their own learning processes, and then they're going to stick with you. And it's a novelty for them because I don't think it happens all that often. And so I think because of that, you end up becoming, um, well, it's kind of like I told you before the podcast, that one boy, how do you do what you do? I mean, it just seems like it would be hard, you know, but then... Well, maybe it is. There's nothing that's worth doing that's not got a little bit of work to it. But I think, um, and I think part of the work that I've done, and I think part of the work that you've done is uh, actually making sure that we're doing that professional development. We're reading, we're going to every training that we can, uh, we're writing on our own, you know, we're finding out what it's like for ourselves. I think you've done that more. Even than me, my stuff is more like short vignettes that I write. Uh, But at the same time, um, we know what it's like to try to put down words and how no matter how hard, like even right now, I'm trying to put down some wonderful words and I'm just going all over the page, right? But it's, it's difficult. And so how do you take a student through that process? Well, if you've done it yourself, then you can do that. And of course, reading a lot. I mean, I think... And I think that's where that bridge is. I mean, we have to we have to allow the students choice in their reading, and then we have to show them how our reading helps us as writers and how what we write helps us as readers and uh, helps us with studying the craft. So I don't know. I think it's kind of hard to do at times, but it's worth trying. Well, and I think that's the the key right there is what you're talking about is we give kids, you know, the freedom to read and we we really believe in that. And then we take away that freedom in writing and it should mm-hmm. writing, you know, if craft and draft is anything, right? If the, the process that we've envisioned is anything, it is the constant marrying of the two, you know, in a in a mm-hmm. perfect world kids would just constantly switch back and forth. Now, we know that doesn't happen in real-world classrooms all the time because kids are dealing with real-world issues. Kids are, you know, kids come to class lazy. They come to class distracted because they have a game that day or whatever. There's all kinds of stuff that requires you to put more structure than that. But the goal is to constantly marry the study of the craft and enjoyment of the craft with the drafting and creating 
of the craft. And it doesn't mean that every student sits down to write high quality literature, so to speak. What it means is give them the tools over time to be able to express their thoughts, emotions, feelings, ideas, beliefs in a coherent way because that stuff directly connects to stuff. So I'll give you a concrete example for people who might think we're a little too fluff on this. Okay. So we, I, uh, I was sitting with a group of students who are predominantly not what I would consider writers, right? (laughs) They they resist uh, creation a lot. They don't, they're not the writers who churn out piece after piece after piece. Um, They tend to kind of, you know, it might take a whole week just to get a paragraph or, you know, a few lines of something. And they were talking, they were genuinely asking me like, Chastain, you know, when are we going to need this? When am I ever going to want to do this? And I said, okay, what do you want to do with your career? Like, what do you want to do in life? You know, they didn't really have answers. They're seventh graders. But, you know, they had mentioned, you know, uh, creating content online, which is very common. Uh, You know, one of them had said, like, you know, be a video game streamer. And then, you know, they had mentioned just various things. And I said, cool. I was like, so I have a side business, right? And they're like, yeah, you know, you talk about it. And I said, awesome. You know how I built that business? By talking to people through email and being able to cold contact people that are way more successful than me and convince them that their time is worth talking to me like that. Wow. <laughs> that's true. That, that's that's literally the 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 concept of teach me teacher at a certain point was how do I get amazing people on here? How do I how do I demonstrate that this podcast is valuable? You know, they're not making money. They might get advertisement out of it, but especially in the early days when I didn't have the audience that I have now, it was a lot of me wording. I wasn't lying, but what I did was I presented the show as what it was. And I found the unique selling proposition that was teach me teacher and use that to kind of reel in some of these bigger names and, and more popular people. And this is why I told them, I said, I couldn't have done that unless I was a qualified writer. It doesn't mean I'm writing fiction. Doesn't mean I'm writing poetry. Doesn't mean I'm writing any of that. But to effectively convey something to someone else to get them to do something, to come on my show, to use their time. A lot of these people are very busy. <laughs> they right. and and they make a lot more money than me. They don't need to be on the show. So I needed to almost convince them in a salesy way that hey, this show will benefit you, and that. That that really resonated with them. They're like, oh, okay, well, I kind of I get that a little bit. And but that that's what this that's what workshop does though. It allows for those conversations, but it also allows us to go talk to that kid who might be a writer one day and and speak to them in a way that's meaningful. Right. Well, you know, I brought up Linda Reef a minute ago and there was a time when I actually what was it? They were doing like a sit down and have lunch with the author, and she just happened to be at my table. But one of the things that uh, she had said in that conversation that always kind of stuck with me, but she shared a story kind of like what you just did. And it was a student that was concerned because in their geography book or social studies book, they had made some editing mistakes in their maps. And this boy just loved maps. And she said, well, why don't you write them a letter? And let them know what they've done. And she said he was an eighth grader. And I might be getting the story a little off. I mean, I heard this story about 10, 12 years ago. So, but anyway, she said that one of her students uh, actually was hired to actually, they sent him maps and paid him to look at them as one of their editors when it was all said and done. But he wrote to them and that's how that happened. So even as an eighth grader, if we can teach our students how to write and solve problems and to, like you said, communicate with people that are, if you will, bigger than them, right? And have the confidence, as we mentioned at the beginning, to go about and do that. I mean, I think that's, I mean, just think about that young that young person right now. I mean, he's probably, I mean, probably pretty confident in his ability to communicate with others. At least he knows that writing has power. So... Can I share a story? I uh, So I was sitting with one of my – the writer that's featured more than anyone in my book. I have about seven or eight pieces of hers in the book, and it's because she's literally – she's my 
if if I died tomorrow, she would be my my claim to fame as a teacher because uh, I got her last year. She was in my on level class. She was an English language learner. She didn't have confidence in school. She didn't have confidence in her ability to talk or uh, write or any of that stuff. She had broken English, uh, not like fully, but like her grammar and stuff was definitely like you could tell that English wasn't her first language. And after working with her over time, she ended up becoming really confident in herself. And I started realizing she had her thoughts were there, right? She was thinking deeply about certain things. And then I, I personally connected to her because a lot of her life experiences were just, they had kind of left kind of a dark shadow on her. And I was like, I always relate to those students because that was me as a kid. So, uh, after a while I ended up tell, I getting, I got her into my honors class and I was like, you know, let's see what happens when she's around kids that are a little bit, you know, they're a little bit more engaged in literature, a little bit more engaged in the writing just to see. And then she ended up shining. So fast forward to this year, she publishes more than anyone. She writes more than anyone wow. in the class. She writes every weekend. I can guarantee a message from her of writing something. Last night, she messaged me through uh, Canvas and was like, "Hey, I'm I'm not at home." Or this it was this morning. She goes, "I'm not writing. I'm in my car and I wrote some of these things down. Could you check out these lines and see what you think?" And she had sent that to me, just a screenshot of what she does. That happens all the time. And this week. She was sitting there and she was, we were just kind of having a conference at the table and they were talking about some various things, but somehow we'd got on the subject of like what they want to do when they grow up. And she was like, yeah, I told my parents this last weekend that I wanted to be a writer and they were, and she was like, they were, they were so excited. And my dad was proud, but like, she was just like beaming because it was, she is a writer like this. Mm -hmm. She's going to be the one that takes this into some field. It might be poetry, it might be fiction or something like that. And she's, she has mastered the art of craft and draft herself to where she reads these books and she goes, Oh, Chastain, check out this line. I want to, I want to, I want to write a line like this. And that's what we talk about, right? The merging of reading and writing craft and draft draft is teaching kids the process of read in in great volumes, take in great literature, and then try your best to either mimic it, borrow it, steal, do all of these things until your own voice starts to develop. And she has mastered this to the point that she doesn't need me anymore. She does not need me to point out this stuff. As long as she continues going down that path of just reading and kind of using it in her own writing, that that is what Craft and Draft is about. That is what this conversation about is giving kids the tools beyond us because we right. we can't guarantee that they're going to get another workshop teacher. We can't guarantee that they're going to get a teacher that respects their personal choices. We can't guarantee that they're going to not move to a campus that has never even heard of workshop or any of that. But if as their teacher – this year, we can give them the tools to constantly merge reading and writing together and teach them how to do it on their own. Then all that we exist for is to just continuously be the guy that just knows a little bit more, right? That's what Penny Kittle says. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be the best writer in the room. You just have to be, you're just better than them, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. the person, you just have more experience. And that, the more I do this, that's what I just I keep reminding myself about, which is, you know, I yeah, I have more experience, which allows me to help them. But they're they have the tools now they they can go off and do this. And she's my 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 shining example of it. And the fact that she is now saying that she wants to be a writer, she wants to do this, you know, as a career. Like I was like, what? I'm that's it. Like that's you're done. That's the, I mean, that's the grail because I yeah. she she doesn't need me anymore. And I think that's the ultimate honor as a teacher is to be able to be like, you're good. You're keep going. I'm going to be now I'm your cheerleader. Right. Right. That's exactly what you're striving for. So with that, <laughs> I just think <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say. <laughs> that, that was that was the holy grail of all teaching. You're done. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've had some similar stories as well, but I do think it's that that freedom and that I think first of all, you talked about the passion that you have, and I think that translates. And I think uh when no matter what we're teaching, because sometimes look, I've taught every subject except for math. 
That's the only one I probably couldn't sell. You know what I mean? But if you could sell your time, it doesn't matter what you're teaching. If you're teaching Texas history, you can sell it. You can sell it. You just have to, what, whatever you're doing, you also have to be as passionate as possible about it. Where the kids are like, man, there must be something to this because this lady is crazy or it's really fun, you know? And so I think sometimes you can sell it that way as well. And I think that's something, a, a strength that you have. But For sure. I think and, the, huh? Well, I was just going to add is uh, I, I, that is true. And, uh, you know, one of the big connections I've had with them is, you know, they know I'm a writer and, you know, mm-hmm. they, I, what's hilarious is so that student I was talking about the, the group that she sits with, um, I brought one of my pieces that I'm working on, a slam poem that I'm working on. I'm like, hey, can you read this? I'm curious what your feedback is. And so we've reached that level of like I bring pieces to them that I'm writing and like they conference with me about it. And they told me like I even had one suggest a line. They were like, I was like, I kind of want to continue it. And they're like, no, I think you should end it here. So we had this great conversation and I'm like, man, like – that's the crap that like it's I don't even like sharing it because I know teachers are like nah that that's not a real class like classes don't exist like that but it's real like this the the stuff that you can do in workshop and and when you create a culture of community that really respects creation and writing and and everyone's interest you can have like this this class where the teacher is no longer authoritarian but is actually a fellow learner among them or at least a guide rather than authoritarian and i think you know when when we're talking about just ultimate goals of a workshop i think that's definitely one of them oh yeah and uh and that is it i mean i learned early on that facilitating was a lot better than demanding or teaching but if i could sit right beside them it was the same with the high school I mean, when I taught at high school, uh, I would even have students from other classes that would say, can I just, and they would be stand, sitting at the door, you know, and I'm like, can I help you? She goes, I was just listening. I want to be a part of that, you know. So, I mean, I've had them come in wanting, I mean, I even give magic feathers sometimes. I haven't done that in a while. I think, I think we'll do that. I think I'll have to do that next year is give these magic feathers. <laughs> And it works even with adults. I'll say, okay, let's take this feather. Because you know how in the old days when they wrote with quill pen? Yeah. If you just tape this little feather to your pen, it just makes you a writer. (laughs) And I mean, I've had people come and other kids are on there. Can I have a feather? My friend has a feather from your class and he writes better now. Can I have a feather? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we look at, you know, I don't know. I don't know what brought that up. But I was just thinking that. You know, any kind of thing, they just like it. You just make it fun and and um, you enjoy it. You, you, you get down there with them and you en- enjoy it with them. And I think that's important. And I think it's the same way with books. I think uh, just the other day, you know, we were sharing. About, well, right now I'm reading uh, my students. Uh, anyway, we're reading uh, City of Ember. And we're comparing it to uh, Among the Hidden because... I had kind of stopped Among the Hidden for a little while because we were busy doing some other things. Sometimes I do that and I kind of, and then some other kids, they were like, can you please start reading that book again? Because I I don't know what happened to Luke. And I'm like, I can't even believe you remembered it. So, but I'm like, sure. So they're begging me to read with them. And now I said, okay, so we're doing science fiction. So I want y'all to go find a book that's similar to the one we're reading. And let's see if we can kind of, Uh, look at all three of them and see what they all have in common and some of the kids are I had a kid go I've never even read science fiction before but this is a pretty good book that I found and I mean so and I'm like well I like this book that I'm reading and so I mean and you start talking about the books like I'll say I haven't read that book because you know I haven't read some of the newer ones and I'm like I haven't read that book tell me about that and so you become like you, you join them in their uh find I'm interested in what they're reading they're interested in what I'm reading and so we talk about those things and I think it makes a difference in your community and your you know and then and then you talk about your own experience about how you know like you try yourself to imitate the writer that you're reading you know and if you can do that and then show the students how it was easy or hard and then have them do the same thing so if they know that you're down there in the trenches with them and you are willing to write with them, and you're willing to say, I am stuck. Can somebody help me find a word? 
or whatever it is, and you let them in on your own process, then now you've got this mutual, like you said earlier, learning going on. You're learning from them. They're learning from you. And now we're in a safe environment. I'm not afraid to share and they're not afraid to share. I still have some that are, you know, I mean, it's not like a perfect world, but you know, if I can even get one, I'm happy. See, but usually I, I get more than that. I, I think the, I think the focus on not being a perfect world, I think that is where I think a lot of people get hung up on that. Like I've noticed that with a teacher that I have been kind of coaching this year is, you know, she's like, she's a first year teacher. Uh, she is amazing. We might bring her on the podcast one time. I think she'd be fun to talk to you just about her experience with kind of learning workshop, but her, um, her, she's, she's one of those teachers that is like a natural, right? Like she's, she, you know, there's things she doesn't know and she's had first year troubles and stuff like that, but she's someone who she, she's not going to be, have problems for long, right? You, she, Mm -hmm. she gets it. She, uh, she has a heart for it. She understands kids, but there would be times where she'd be talking about like frustrated with like kids not working or writing or whatever. And then I would ask and she's like, well, you know, it's just two. And I'm like, okay, well, you have a class of 18, two is not, you know, it's sometimes like we feel like we have to hyper focus on them, but you Mm -hmm. don't like, you really don't in the long scheme of things. Like, and I'm saying, I'm not saying ignore them. There are strategies to get to those kids, but celebrate that, you know, 95% of your class are writing and creating and reading. Like, I think that is that's such a core component of like keeping your chin up when things go hard in workshop. Cause workshop doesn't, it, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes like kids are crazy. Like if you're a middle school teacher, there uh, any, any variable can throw off your workshop and it. It's oh, distracted yeah. and there's all kinds of stuff going on. But at the same time, like as you get better at it and as your kids get more used to it and as you're deeper into it, you know, I just had, uh, I had two observations, uh, this last like few weeks and my assistant principal was in there and I was, I was reading his notes and they're so hilarious because one of them was like, you know, he, you know, they, they list the typical stuff like this many kids were on task, blah, 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 blah. That one of them was, and then a kid. So what they do, they bring snacks for our kids that are in mandatory tutorials after school. And there's always a, a student that comes into my room, like at the same time, roughly every day to bring this like sack of food into my room and in the notes he says and then a student entered to bring Chastain something not one the teacher didn't look up and the students seemed unfazed by this person entering the classroom and they kept on writing and then towards the end of it the kids not only were on task but they actively uh, sought me out to engage in their reading or in their writing and read their pieces and stuff like that and I'm like that that doesn't happen uh, without create, without trusting the process, right. Without mm-hmm. giving kids like they, what kid actively goes to the, the assistant principal and shows them stuff. What teacher wants that, right? Usually like teachers are like, Oh my God, just don't even look at them. Just, just be good. Look. Don't make eye contact for the love of God. You know, like <laughs> don't like you're taught, you know, you're thinking of that one really loud kid. That's never on task. You're like, for the love of God, do not look at the principal because he's going to come to you and he's going to talk to you and he's going to judge me based on your lack of on task behavior. But in workshop, it, it almost limits that possibility because every kid can work on something and they all know the expectation. So even I have those, I have several kids who are very good at being off task. They have their Chromebooks. They're very good at pulling up Minecraft or pulling up a YouTube video or pulling up something and switching it as someone walks by. Right. I have those students. This isn't a perfect world, but they know what's expected of them. They know what they should be doing if they do get off task. And when someone comes up to them and asks them, they say, oh, I'm working on this. And they have the work to show it. And they have the craft book filled with the lessons. And they have their draft book filled with their drafts that they're working on. And it, it's, it's like this, it's, it's this weird thing that it's, it's so hard to believe that this can exist. But, you know, if, imagine if I handed them worksheets and they were like, ah, and that kid that's off task, right? They're the kids that blaze through worksheets in five seconds because they're usually very intelligent, right? Or, or, mm-hmm, or so, in, 
or so intelligent that they're lazy. So they'll just answer whatever just to be done. Right. That's usually the off task kid. And so they'll be done with the worksheet and now they're sitting there with literally nothing to do. Right. There's, there's no choice. We've been in classrooms like this where the kid's like, well, I'm done with my work. And I was bored, so I went over there to my friend, right? Like, we've seen those classrooms. We've had those classrooms. I've definitely had a classroom environment where that was possible. (laughs) But in workshop, it's not possible because we are never done. We are always working on something. We are always reading. We are always writing. We are always making progress. And my, it's funny because I've gotten some new students, and they've been like, well, Chastain, I'm done writing today. And I'm like, this class doesn't work like that. (laughs) Like... We and then what's funny is my students go, Oh no, you don't say you're done in Chastain's class. It's not gonna happen. And it's hilarious because I never straight up I never like said it's the rule, but my language and the way I treat workshop has made that and my students are like, No, you're gonna want to do that. And I had a kid who just came to me, brand new. He I gave him a book. The next day he was halfway through it, and I said, Turn to page one. Go back. I was like, don't just open the book. He's no, I've read this much. And a kid across from him goes, I tried that, man. It's not going to work. Chastain sees because he actually watches and reads with us. It's not going to work. Like, that's exactly what he said. And I was like, but that's what's funny is it's not, I'm not being a tyrant. I'm not controlling them. It's the expectation is that you're reading and writing authentically for your purposes. And once they, subscribe to that and realize it's not a gotcha. And I'm not going to yell at them. I'm just going to remind them, Hey, there's no reason to fake this because there's nothing going to like, all I'm going to do is remind you to go back. They accept it. And then you have this classroom of kids who read and write without resistance, because guess what? When you put mandates on kids, they want to resist much like me. I've said it a million times on the podcast. You put a mandate on me. I'm like, meh, I'm going to fight that. So like, (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you're right. I mean, there's been lots of times. There's one where this, like, I'm I'm done with this assignment and they hand it to me or whatever. And I look at them and I go, "Um, well, this actually isn't uh, reader digest worthy yet. (laughs) So they're like, what? And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not, are you ready to send it off? Because... I uh, don't know if it's right there. No, I'm not going to say, well, okay, well, take it back until it's ready. So, I mean, I've, I've had them do that. And this one time, one, uh, one time the kid, he brought it back and he's like, okay, I'm done. I said, oh, this is so much better. I mean, cause I'd already done that. Right. And so I asked him, I said, so how do you feel about it? Cause he just turned in like maybe three sentences. I'm done. I don't have anything else to write. You know, this is at the beginning of the year. And so I, that's what I told him. It's not. And then I said, let's just keep writing. Let's work on it. We did a few more things. We uh, allow them to um, enter more stuff into their writing. You know, we did some lessons and, and uh, anyway, and I said, so now how's your writing? And he took it back and he was finished with it and he handed it to me with, you know, his final draft. And it had moved from that little three lines to almost two pages. And I said, so how do you feel about this? And he goes, I'm glad you made me take it back because I really like this piece. So it was just, it turned out to be, and then after that, I never had any more issues. He was always, but he, he I think he had gotten away with, in the past, just turning it in and being done with it. Exactly. So here's, uh, and this might be a nice capstone for this episode. Okay. Uh, or else we'll probably go off for another 45 minutes. But the, I, I think the, interesting piece about this workshop and merging reading and writing together and creating an environment to where it's, it's not like work never ends, right? What happens when you have real workshop, when your kids are genuinely interested in what they're reading and writing, it's not work anymore. I've had students straight up tell me, uh, Chastain, I don't know how I learn in here, but I'm, I pass all my stuff and I'm making great scores and you know, all of it. And, and I go, I don't, you know, I, I tell them this, they don't listen because they're kids and they don't understand pedagogy. But in the back of my head, I'm like, the reason this works is because you're, you're doing so much. Like you're, you're, you might not feel that like writing whatever you want is that the kids don't see it as work. Like I can work on their grammar with a piece that they like. It's entirely Mm -hmm. different versus handing them a worksheet with errors on it and saying, Hey, let's fix these. Um, there is, it's entirely different to if I hand them a short story 
and just a supply questions, which I do as we're, you know, gearing up for like testing. We've talked about that before, the difference between the workshop and how it kind of funnels into testing strategies and everything. But in, in a general classroom, I can, I can work on their understanding of story by talking about the books that they're reading, by modeling the books that I'm reading, by doing a read aloud, by doing a class novel, all those things. Like there's, but the, the trick is once kids stop thinking that your classes work, they do so much and they learn from it and kids go home. I don't assign homework and I have kids that write all the time on the weekends. I have kids where they're, they've literally, because they've proven this to me, they, they don't actually write in my class. They write at home at night because that's their writing time. And I, after they've proved, it wasn't like I was able to prove that this wasn't just them like tricking me and like, <laughs> no testing. I only <laughs> write at night. You know? <laughs> they, uh, once we were able to like establish that, I accepted that as their writing process because I have a writing process of most of my writing comes like my real when I'm actually writing comes. I wake up, I chug caffeine in some form, and then I just write for as long for as long as I actually can. Right, I just go and. I, sometimes it's a thousand words, sometimes it's four thousand words. Right, it's it is what it is, and that respecting a kids processes and even having a classroom that in, encourages process. We talk about differentiation, talk mm-hmm. about differentiation of process going through books, right? We, we get mad at kids like hopping books. I'm, I'm in the middle of like 900 books right now. If you want to count every book I'm halfway in, but I, I, I this, I think that the respect value of these are real people. Like no one, constantly powers through stuff. No one writes consistently. Pen to paper 100% of the time doesn't work. Writers, what to name one professional writer that sets a timer for 15 minutes and says, this is now my writing time, right? Um, <laughs> now... <laughs> Now there, that can be that can be a strategy for a specific action, right? I'm not condemning the use of timers for writing or anything like that. But when we're talking about the core of workshop, we're talking about what do people really need? What do the people in front of us need? How do we structure a classroom to meet that as 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 well as we possibly can without uh, you know suffering anything that might be the case, you know keeping up with standards, keeping up with testing, all of that stuff has to happen, but it can definitely happen within workshop. It 100% can. No, I agree with you. And um, and I just think that that we have to make sure the students have choice in their reading. They have to have time to read. They have to have time to write. They need to have choice in their writing. And then we have to be ready and able to respond. And uh, I think I just quoted Nancy Atwell. So, and with that, go. ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of this craft and draft episode. You can't, you can't end any better than talking about Nancy Atwell. I love Nancy that's Atwell. Right. I have yet to meet or talk to her, but that's like my, that, that's one of my goals in life. But regardless, ladies and gentlemen, you can find more of this uh, podcast at if you're listening on podcast feeds, just hit subscribe. We release an episode every single Friday without fail as much as we can until a, a technical glitch but so far we've been rocking it so stick around for that if you want to check out the website go to craftanddraftworkshop.com you can listen to everything over there as well check out some of our previous episodes you can tweet at us instagram all that fun stuff if you want to ask us a question you can find us over there on facebook we have a building facebook page over there where we kind of post our stuff some people have uh started commenting and interacting with us there dming us to ask us questions so if you want to do all of that it's wonderful but if you enjoyed this podcast leave a review rate it share it with your friends some of our reviews have gone up which is wonderful our listenership has gone up so i know y'all are sharing it with your team so keep doing that if you believe that this workshop was helpful or workshop i mean i guess it is kind of workshop if you believe this podcast was helpful to you then share it with your teams and everyone else that you think would benefit from this conversation but know that we are here for you yeah